Jaspers point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today is a very special episode, another retro rewatch. We're watching Game 5 of the 1990 NBA Finals. And joining me, the host of Locked on Pistons and a Pistons writer all over the web and print, Matt Shook. Matt, how you doing, man? Mike, thanks for uh, doing this. I really appreciate it. Just uh, trying to hang in there here in Michigan. Uh, things are pretty dire, as uh, one has probably heard about, uh, just like many locales around the country. But yeah, we're uh, getting some respite with the Netflix and also the YouTube of, of watching games like this. So I appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, and talking. Yeah, let's turn back the clock to a happier time for now, shall we? Sure. Certainly happier in Michigan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is... Uh, you know, the 90s were good for Detroit and Michigan sports. There Definitely. was uh, the Red Wings were very good. Uh, the Tigers were about to go into a nice, you know, it was a bad Tigers decade, but they were about to go into a better time. And uh, yeah, the Lions are the Lions. So there's nothing good there. But uh, the Pistons, you know, this is the second, this is the third straight NBA finals that the, the Pistons were in that we're going to talk about 1990, uh, losing in seven games to the Lakers and then sweeping them the year after and then meeting. Drexler and Porter and Edelman and all those guys uh, for the 1990 finals. Yeah. Uh, do, do Detroiters or Michiganers uh, uh, claim on the Fab Five? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Ann Arbor's just 45 minutes away, so you got uh, the Fab Five, too. Michigan State, that was kind of the after the Fab Five was the beginning of Izzo's run. Right, you know, right, Michigan's right. basically split down the middle for Michigan and Michigan State. So good times for, for both of those programs. And, of course, the football teams have had their shares of success over the years, too. Yeah, so the game we watched today was Game 5 of the 1990 NBA Finals. You can watch it on YouTube. It'll be in the episode description, but also just search 1990 NBA Finals Game 5 on YouTube. That's how Matt and I found it. We found a couple different links that we shared back and forth. Um, We'll spare you the play-by-play recap, but here's how it ends. Pistons win 92-90 and claim the world championship their second in a row. It's pretty... uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, I think that what's interesting about this series is, and you know, this is this is thirty years ago now. So it's it's yeah. it's it's one thing right there. And I'm seven years old. This is one of my first sports memories, really. Oh, right on. Yeah. So um, this series, looking back and doing some reading on the the first four games before Game Five, uh, this is a series that could have gone either way. There was only one game that was a bit of a blowout. The, the first game in Portland. So right. Game Three, when Dumars had thirty three. Other than that, it's going right to the final shot right to the buzzer, even right after the buzzer in game four, uh, one of the more bananas games that uh, that you can really Absolutely. remember. Yeah, yeah, so an unbelievable finish there. Rick Adelman actually says in an interview prior to this game, uh, like one of those sort of like pregame coach interviews, that he's like, we could easily be, easily be up 3-1, which is um, pretty cringeworthy, and I feel like that's not the type of thing you would say in a modern interview because you'd get killed for it, but he might be right, to be quite honest. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, you know, just a quick rundown here, you know, the the Blazers go up 10 points in game one at the Palace, couldn't seal it, 25-9 to run finished by the Pistons. Isaiah goes, uh, makes some big shots there. Isaiah fouls out in overtime of game two as Portland gets the win. Uh, Terry Porter hits a couple free throws in regulation. Drexler, some free throws in overtime to win at Clef Robinson with the block of James Edwards at the buzzer. Yep. Uh, and the Pistons go to Portland where they had not won in 17 years. Uh, they lost 20 straight games in Portland before game three of the finals. Uh, and in the late seventies, you know, the Pistons were still in the Western conference for the right. late seventies. So they played twice a year in some of those. So 20 straight, it seemed like a daunting, uh, 
opportunity or or task to to have three straight games in Portland and really losing game two, there is a it's more likely that they would have lost all three games in Portland than won all three games. Yeah, in the Portland, Blazers hadn't lost three games in a row at home since uh, 1985, so we're talking four yeah. full seasons without three straight home losses. And still a, one of the tougher places in the NBA to play, obviously, especially Absolutely. for a, the an Glass Eastern Palace Conference. there That's on right, the, the banks East. of the Willamette River. Yeah, I was at a game last year at the Moda Center. Saw uh, Devin Booker and the Suns go to Portland. One of my good friends lives out in Oregon, so I was out there visiting. And yeah, it's a, it's obviously it's a great city, and I encourage any uh, Locked On Pistons Pistons listeners to head out there and uh, check it out. But uh, yeah, obviously a, a daunting place to play on the road. Yeah, the uh, the. The Blazers actually played a preseason game back in Memorial Coliseum this year, uh, their preseason opener against the against the Nuggets before things kind of went south for the Blazers in a hurry. Um, but uh, they they like they brought in the old retro floor um, mm-hmm. and they they kind of did like a, a faux seventies night for their for preseason opener. It was really fun to be back in that building um, that really doesn't see a lot of basketball otherwise. Yeah, so the series shifts to Portland, Game 3, Joe Dumars, and this is the, you know, kind of the famous sad story of this series, is that uh, right before, about an hour and a half before the game, uh, Chuck Daly and Isaiah Thomas find out that Joe Dumars' dad mm-hmm. passed away, and uh, they decided not to tell Joe until after the game he scored 33, and that was, like like I said, one the kind of the one blowout of this series, and then Game 4 was uh, a crazy game. A uh, bunch of free throws at the end, uh, probably a, a no call on Joe Dumars that could have been a foul on a Terry Porter drive. And then um, Isaiah picks it up, gets fouled, casually knocks down a half-court shot <laughs> after he gets fouled that doesn't count, you know, rightfully so. Uh, makes both the free throws. Terry Porter makes two free throws. And then a, a play that could have been thought of as, uh, if things went a little differently, as a big bonehead moment in Detroit sports, Gerald Henderson gets the pass from James Edwards, could have easily dribbled out the clock and ended the game. Instead, goes up for a fast break, easy layup, scores it with 1.3 seconds left, put the Pistons up three, and then Danny Young, the running three-pointer a few steps inside of half court, knocks it down all net, and uh, a little bit of confusion as the uh, Dick Stockton and Hubie Brown thought it was ruled good early. I don't know if it was or not, but eventually Earl Strom and the refs got together and uh, rightfully called it that it was after the buzzer yeah. and gave the Pistons the win. Yeah, it's uh, it, it those are and the long line of Blazers what ifs that is a, that is certainly up there among them. Mm-hmm. So then Absolutely. we get to Game Five, um, and let's just let's hop into it. This was. Yep. Um, I thought Isaiah was fantastic in this game for the Pistons. Uh, Blazers did it with balance, but who is your MVP? Pistons MVP from this game when they held on to win 92-90? It's tough because, like you said, uh, it's it's between two guys. It's it's very clearly between two guys because it's Isaiah who carries the team for most of this game and then Vinny Johnson who ripped them through at the end. It's a toss-up, but I'm going to say, rightfully so, Isaiah is the MVP of the series, but that Vinny Johnson was the MVP of this game yeah, in particular. I, I agree. 16 in the fourth quarter, um, hit the game winner with .7 seconds left. He was fantastic. And the, down the stretch, the Blazers kind of looked like they are going to pull away twice, and then twice, Vinny Johnson just went on a little microwave run and kept him in the game. Yeah, Pistons down 90-83 to 83 with a minute 59 to go. Probably another one of those what-ifs for, for Portland sports there, like you mentioned, Trailblazers history. But Vinny Johnson was just great at the end. A bunch of mid-range shots. He grabbed his own miss at one point and scored. Uh, Duckworth had, a, had an in-and-out shot with a minute 10 to go. 
Um, the Pistons win a jump ball late, set up an yep. Isaiah Thomas jump shot, tied up with uh, 36.5 seconds to go. Portland ball, and I'm and I don't know if what the basketball strategy was back then, but if you had to do it all over again, you're probably thinking two for one at that point, right? Yeah, if, if you had to do it all over again, there's a lot of weird stuff like that in these games where guys like there's a lot of deliberate just like getting into your set stuff that I don't think happens in modern basketball. But yeah, I think you I think you got to go two for one there in the uh, in the era. But you're not. You know, uh, the Blazers shot an outrageous number of threes. They took 12 in this game. <laughs> right. So it's now, like, you know, the, the math is just very different at this point. Yeah, right. And so they turn the ball over and the Pistons get it, call the timeout. And Isaiah Thomas uh, working on Terry Porter looks like he wants to, to drive and, and put the game in his hands, as, as you would expect and as you might hope if you're a Pistons fan as well. But passes it off to the right wing. Uh, Vinny Johnson catches it with about five seconds left and uh, Kersey's on him. And, uh, you know, sizes him up and puts up just uh, the unconventional quick release of Vinny Johnson. Obviously, he's outsized by Jerome Kersey, but his feet don't get set. It's kind of a trademark of his. It's an awkward shot. So and he extends his arms and his jump shot so high up in the air. And it makes it tougher to defend than your typical jumper uh, that that, that a forward like Kersey might have a little bit easier time with. It's an awkward shot by an awkward shooter, but he's taken it a thousand times in his life and he knocks it down all net. Yeah, and he has 14 at this point like he's got a lot of positive he's got a lot of positive reinforcement on his decision making to date so uh, yeah right right in front of the pistons bench too yeah. so you know it's a, it's a comfortable place to be in terms of uh even on the road and everything and then you know like you said 0.77 seconds seven tenths he's known as uh, one of his nicknames here obviously the microwave but 007 is what we call him yeah, yeah, on, yeah. The, on the clock on the on the tv it's 007 and then uh they get the ball in uh terry porter from the corner and uh and, and misses it and uh, and that's 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 it yeah, it was um, it's a great final. I mean, not if you're a, a Blazer fan, sort of reliving the trauma, but in sure. terms of basketball, it's a pretty fun final four and a half minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just a lot of great players out there. And I think that's what kind of stands out with the Pistons. But I mean, as far as this game in particular, if you had to call a Portland MVP for you guys, who, who do you think was the guy? I, in this I game? think it's Duck. I think it's Kevin Duckworth because he was so mm-hmm. good early and they were kind of having right. a little bit of trouble. It looked like the Pistons were going to pull away a couple times and Duckworth was, I think he made his first six shots or six of his first seven shots. Like he was really good. He kind of cooled down down the stretch and uh, Porter and Drexler took over more of the scoring load in the, in the second half. But the first three quarters, Duck was their best player offensively and he, he held the uh, Detroit Bigs at bay. They didn't get crushed on the glass. In fact, the Blazers had a rebounding advantage early, uh, you know, but Lambeer and James Edwards didn't go off. Uh, I thought Rodman came in and played well in this game, but he, he wasn't a, a big factor. So I'm going to give it to Duckworth, um, although it, the, there was a lot of balance here and the Blazers sort of leaned on the guards when it mattered. Yeah, and uh, 19 for Duckworth late in the third quarter and then only scored two points the rest of the way. So they kind of went away from him. But yeah, I mean, he's not, he's a a reliable, probably third option for the Blazers' offense at this time. But this, you know, for him to dominate like he did for three quarters really has got to be one of the, uh, the highlights of his career, obviously, in a losing effort. And it's tough to, to, to kind of reconcile a loss and calling it one of his best games. But it's got to be one of his bigger moments. Oh, yeah, he was fantastic in this one. I think coming out uh, from returning from injury is the sort of signature De- Duckworth moment. But here he is back um, playing against a really good front line in Detroit. And I thought he was he was really, really good um, in this one. He's, so he gets my MVP. Yeah. 
And what about some underrated players? I mean, I, to get to the finals and the Pistons, uh, obviously, are, are in this category. But you got you can't just be two players or three players. you got to be deep. Who are the guys? Because i got a couple in mind for the Pistons. Who are the guys that you think, you know, were they on a, a worse team or or had they had more opportunities? Could And obviously, there's a couple rookies off the bench in this series that you would uh, probably put in this category. But who are those underrated guys? Yeah, like Cliff Robinson was not very – he was good early in the series, but not very good in this particular game. Game, mm-hmm. um, and he's going to get a lot better. Like Cliff Robinson, but when they get back a couple years later, is a much better basketball player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to say underrated the way that Blazer fandom works. Like all of these dudes are so hallowed. Like um, yeah. if you've you've been, you said we're at the Moda Center. You'll yeah. see a lot of those jerseys up in the rafters. For sure. Um, and there's a big push. That, you know, Kersey, who's like sort of the obvious most underrated type of type of player. Um, you know, a hustle guy, third or fourth option type, is uh, people want his jersey retired. Uh, Buck Williams was a multi-time All-Star. He's later in his career, obviously. He's an All-Star with the Nets early in his career. So so I think it's probably Buck Williams who could have been a... a a scoring type, a more sort of featured type wing. Um, But if if we're looking for real underrated players in this Blazer team, it's rookie Drazen Petrovic. Adelman, find some minutes for Drazen, okay? He's going to demand to leave, and it's going to be, it's going to end up sad for everyone. Yeah, and he actually didn't even play in yeah. this game, correct? Yeah. He played the the previous four games in the series, including when they needed a three-pointer late uh, in the, the, the Danny Young game, that he was out there at the final minutes yeah. to uh, try to make that happen. But, and obviously... it, but Adelman just gave up on his bench in this game. He said, we're going to win it with our, we know who our five best players is, we're going to win it with them. Yeah, and the Pistons kind of along those same lines. It's it's a it was an eight man team at this point. You got you know Greenwood and Henderson kind of and Hastings kind of at the end of the bench. But uh, the year before it was nine. You had Rick Mahorn. He gets taken in the expansion draft by the Timberwolves, so he's not here for the second title. Right. But yeah, VJ, Isaiah, and Joe, and then you got John Sally, Dennis Rodman. Mark Aguirre, James Edwards, and Lambeer. And uh, really the two underrated guys for my money are Vinnie Johnson and James Edwards. I just think that these are two guys who – you know, at this point in their career, Vinny's in his early 30s, uh, James's as well. Uh, I think that these guys, if given bigger roles on better teams, are are like fringe all-star type of players. And I know James Edwards is starting uh, now because Mahorn uh, was a starter previous to him leaving the team. But uh, these are two guys that, you know, on bad teams could have been uh, 20 and 10 type of guys. Oh, yeah, Vinny, James Vinny Edwards Johnson, was, yeah. was scoring in the teens for most of his early career, like kind of yeah. until he, he settled into being more of a role player. He was he he scored like he was a consistent scorer for basically a decade prior to getting to this Pistons team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, those are two guys that took a backseat and, and just such a, a great eight-man group. And I think that's something that's kind of get lost in history, especially by non-Pistons fans, is it the bad boys are just kind of, and, and rightfully so, you get a little bit of the bad stigma of just kind of mucking up the NBA and doing all the stuff that they did. But this was eight or nine, like, really good players, too. I mean, this was a very talented team of, of supremely talented offensive players and uh, a few guys that just uh, really got after it defensively, too. Yeah, exactly. All right, let's take a big... Uh, quick break come back in the second segment and uh talk about maybe putting some of these players in the modern game but before we get there i want to tell you about postmates postmates is the food delivery service that doubles as an everything delivery service so just download postmates on ios or android find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour for a limited time postmates is giving our listeners 100 dollars of free delivery credit for your first seven days to start your free delivery, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. 
That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. All right, still talking here with Matt Shook of Locked on Pistons. We're talking about Game 5 of the 1990 NBA Finals. Matt, which player from this Pistons team, the 1990 Pistons team that you have said was so good and perhaps underappreciated for how good they were, would you put on the current Pistons to help out this squad? The current Pistons to help out. I mean, it's it's tough because uh, the literally Pistons anyone. Obviously- yeah, literally anyone, because right now the biggest need is point guard. So Isaiah Thomas is the obvious choice. Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll just kind of throw that out because he's a Hall of Famer. And, of course, any team could use an Isaiah Thomas. To, yeah, yeah and, and really uh, similarly with Portland and Detroit, obviously on different levels of the, the franchises right now, I think both of these teams need wings uh, right now. Totally, so, and Drexler would play three. He'd be fine. He'd be yeah, fine. yeah, just that'd be just fine. But uh, for looking at this Pistons roster, uh, my heart wants to say Dennis Rodman because it's kind of the DNA of the Pistons to be that defensive player and uh and you know the rebounder and all the effort kind of stuff but my head is gonna say instead that uh, this team could really use mark aguirre that was my thought too i'm glad you went with him yeah this guy was a three-time all-star in dallas before obviously taking a little bit of a lesser role with detroit from the trade with adrian dantley um you know the two seasons before the trade to detroit he made the western conference all-star team he averaged almost 30 a game in his third season early in his career yeah for dallas one of the best players out of chicago all time and, and obviously took the Paul to the final four as well. So yeah, this Pistons team, while you know you're hopeful that Sekou Dumbuya becomes that versatile wing that every good team needs, uh, you know, Mark Aguirre could just fill up fill it up for you while you figure out your backcourt and uh, you try to develop along Christian Wood and, and maybe build around Blake Griffin if he could come back in any kind of health going forward. What about the Blazers? Who could who could they use? Who could Dame and CJ really benefit from having alongside them? Yeah, well, it's like we were, when we were emailing back and forth about the show notes, I said, let's, like, Drexler is the choice, right? Like, mm-hmm. who would they add to the team? Let's add, you know, at worst, the third best player in the history of the franchise. I think, I think Clyde could play next to Dame and CJ a little bit. Obviously, you worry about the ball, but, like, they, they needed an incorporated Carmelo Anthony, and Clyde Drexler would just be, like, a much better version of that, a sort of ball-dominant ISO score. Uh, they would figure it out. I'm not worried about that. Uh, but let's say we can't pick Clyde because you can't pick the obvious all-star. I don't think it's Porter. I don't think they need another undersized guard. Uh, that just seems like a bad decision. So I think it's Jerome Kersey. Like, I, mm-hmm. think it's, I think it's a versatile defender, hustle wing, who can has a, enough of his own offense to be a factor. Um, I don't think they need another a true big... If you ask me about the 92 tam- championship team, I'm saying Cliff Robinson, but rookie Cliff Robinson isn't going to help the Blazers that much. So yeah. I think right now it's probably... I, I think it's JK25, Jerome Kersey. Yeah, Kersey with the big game four there to kind of give the Blazers a chance in that one. And and certainly, like I said, it, it, it mir- the teams kind of mirror each other as uh, definitely needing those wings there. But like I, as I was kind of watching this game and thinking about Isaiah and Joe... You know, in, in today's NBA, a little bit more of uh, obviously offensive and scoring oriented. But yeah, I thought that, that there was a big mirror there between what Isaiah and Joe were and, and Lillard and McCollum right now. And that's because, you know, nobody's going to sit here and say that Dame Lillard is one of the three best players in the NBA. I think that's a pretty clear delineation between LeBron and Giannis and Kawhi right now. 
And uh, similarly to back then, you're talking about Jordan, Bird, and Magic. But, you know, you take that next tier, and Dame is in there somewhere, and Isaiah is in there somewhere. Now, yeah, a clear top put 10 guy in the league, but probably not, a t- but, you know, struggling to be a top five guy in the league. Right, exactly. And so, so and then you got Dumars and CJ McCollum overqualified as second best players on a team. Like, uh, you know, very clearly the second best player, but probably one of the better second best players in the league at that time on, on a roster, I would think. So what did you think about my, my yeah, comparison? Between I, I think they're pretty similar. And what it made me think was like, how much do the Blazers wish that they had the role players that this Pistons team had, you right. know, like how much do they need Bill Lambeer and how much do they need a Mark Aguirre, like a dude who really could go score Dennis Rodman, John Sally coming off the bench, a really, really reliable six man. And Vinny Johnson, like the, the obvious comparisons are right there, but this was a night where Joe Dumars didn't have it. Isaiah Thomas was fantastic, and they relied on the rest of the crew to get it done, which is sort of the Blazers' formula. Is like when Damon CJ aren't excellent, they're in trouble. So what it really made me think was like, how do you build a championship team around a a like a really good backcourt, a star backcourt that it has some real overlap? Is that you don't worry about having a third guard. <laughs> Bring in Vinny Johnson, it doesn't matter. And then just get, just, you need a front line that can really shut people down. And that's what this Pistons team had. They were methodical. They ran their stuff. They were getting deep into the shot clock. And, uh, and they kind of, when they needed it, they let Isaiah and Joe go. And, but they could execute and they really could defend. Yeah, and I think that the fact that obviously the Pistons, you can't talk about the bad boys without how they got under team's skin. And I know that they're probably one of the hated teams around the league, especially in this era. And, and we know that here in Pistons land, and you could throw the old four Pistons into that group as well as they, they had to. They had to play that way to get wins against some of these ultra-talented teams around the league. But I think that's another thing that kind of jumped out at me when watching this. Jerome Kersey, when Rodman comes in this game, Kersey at one point like throws Rodman down at the baseline. And then another time later on, uh, Lambeer's defending Duckworth inside and basically dives on uh, on like a forearm that Duckworth gives him. And the refs called it. They called a, a foul on Lambeer, rightfully so that time but like Duckworth was like so fired up that he got that call yeah he, he was, was like pumping his fist <laughs> and all that and to me and obviously these are you know you know just regular plays throughout the game but it was indicative to me of that Pistons pesting you know that they had kind of gotten under the skin of the Blazers as they had for the Celtics and the Bulls and the Lakers and all the great teams of this era yeah you really saw their um their sort of character that what made them so good come out here and just the 48 minutes of basketball we watched this weekend um before we move to the third segment let's quickly which of these players when you were watching this game from 30 years ago which of the players on the Pistons roster is the least equipped to play in the modern game like who, who, would yeah. you, who could you not add? I think that uh, first off, you're thinking the physicality because you can't do this stuff anymore. So the, what jumps in first is Lambeer and Rodman in that sense. But Lambeer would have shot some more threes. I think that he would yeah, have Yeah, he's become, too skilled. He would have been really yeah, good. He would have figured a way to do it. And and Rodman, uh, the defensive player, every team can use yeah, he a would good start defensive at center player for like that. Like, he would start at center for half the teams in the league. Exactly. So the, the answer to me is, is James Edwards, just because the back of the basket, you know, old school center – um, the, the, you know, that, that's just kind of what that, that's what he brought that turnaround jumper that everyone in Detroit remembers. And uh, he's probably the guy who is least equipped to transition his game. I think. Yeah, I have the same idea. I think it's Duckworth. Like I think yeah. he had enough touch to play backup center. 
You know, I like. Mm-hmm. I think he's like. I think he is capable of being a really high level backup. I'm thinking like Al Jefferson, um, with the late in his career with the Hornets, uh, where you could just throw it down to maybe Ennis Cantor is a good example of that type of thing. Where it's like you you could play him on second units and and maybe try to bully backup centers and score a bunch. But Duckworth in like defending 45 pick and rolls a game seems like a real nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's uh, let's come back in the third segment, close this one out, uh, talking more about Game 5. All right. Still past first point guard. Still locked on Blazers. Still Mike Richmond. We're still chatting here with Matt Shook of Locked on Pistons, talking about Game 5 of the 1990 NBA Finals in a retro rewatch. Matt? You asked me how the Blazers are perceived in sort of the in the Blazer fandom memory. Uh, before I get into that, what is what is sort of the outside perception of of this Blazer team and how they kind of fit in the echelon of teams that made the NBA Finals? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, obviously, like you said, you get back to the finals in '92, you play the Bulls there, and it's it's a team. Then and, and and you really think about the Rasheed Wallace era, which comes later, where you get to the conference finals twice. I actually uh, didn't remember that they had gone twice during that era. Uh, it, I it lost my memory that they uh, got swept by the Spurs the year before the famous series against the Lakers in in seven games there because of that lockout shortage right. uh, era that the year that maybe gets uh, forgotten by time a little bit. But yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about the Portland and obviously there was the one magical season way back in the 70s with Bill Walton. But then you have this team that gets there that uh, that, you know, this is a series that's only five games, but it could go either way on a, at the end of some some shots at the end of each of the games. And then you have the uh, the the, the, the Scotty Pippen, Rashid Wallace era that comes later. I mean, in terms of stacking it up and, and, and I think about it in you know my own perception of the Detroit Tigers, Miguel Cabrera getting to the World Series a couple times, losing to the Cardinals, losing to the Padre or losing to the Cardinals and then uh, later losing to the Giants. Yeah. And then, you know, it's it's like, man, such good times. We remember it so fondly, but it's like at the end of the day, the Tigers still haven't won a championship since 1984. And there's a little bit of that emptiness, a little bit of, uh, you know, it's a little bit of regret that they weren't able to finish it off. Do you have those kind of feelings? I'm sure to some extent, but is it as overwhelming as that is, or are people a little bit more positive about this era and just remember the good part? I, I think, I think it's far enough removed that people are positive about it. Obviously the thing that is like so prevalent in Blazerland is what if Sabonis came over, you know, what if Sabonis yep. was on these teams? Um, then if you talk to most Blazer fans, they are convinced that this is a four-time world champion. Um, you know, easy money, right? Like, they easily mm-hmm. beat the young Jordan Bulls. No problem. S- Sabonis definitely would have solved that one. He would have guarded him and not let him hit six threes and get one. <laughs> right. um, it seems, that seems a little wild to me. They were very good, and adding Sabonis would have made them incredible, particularly young Sabonis. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I generally think that there are three sort of hallowed eras and we're in a fourth one now of of Mm -hmm. blazer fandom the 77 team um there there is no team that had a 
shorter run that is more appreciated in the world of the NBA than the 77 and then 78 Blazers. Uh, mm-hmm. Walton gets hurt and then he's gone, but this is an all-time great team uh, and, and treated as such by the, by the fandom. This era is just really special, particularly for sort of people of our generation, Matt, is that this is the team, like you said, this is your early childhood memories. This is the team that people grew up watching and loving, and Clyde was, this, was the star for sort of the people who are, who are our age. Uh, and then it's that it's that era of um, of Sheed and the sort of like pre Jailblazers, uh, you know, losing. Sorry, everyone who's listening, losing Game Seven of the two thousand seven mm-hmm. Western Conference yeah. Finals. Um, I don't. We won't rewatch that one. I promise. <laughs> um, but uh, I just think that these are like these are just because the Blazers have won championship, but they've also been successful for pretty much 35 years. They've been a competitive team for almost every fan who's roughly my age's lifetime. Um, then these teams are really appreciated and, and truly celebrated. I don't think people, um, I don't think there's as much pain. I don't think there's the what if I think part of Blazer fandom is always the like, well, you know, we're, we were pretty darn good. Like I'll, I'll appreciate it. Um, I might be wrong. So if you Blazer listeners, if I'm to- if I've totally mischaracterized you, you know where to find me. And you know what? Let me just throw a blanket statement over these two cities. I just think that Portland is a happier place. And I think people darn aren't calling sports radio stations like they maybe do in Detroit and have those sports radio hosts that fill up all this negative energy around here. And that we're going to dwell on the fact that Justin Verlander and Miguel <laughs> Cabrera didn't win a World Series as opposed to appreciating the fact that, you know, you're just watching a good basketball team and the Blazers night in and night out. These are guys that give a crap. These are guys that uh, Lillard and McCollum are easy guys to root for, easy guys to like. And uh, I, I, I got I to gotta admit, I'm pretty envious of that. And I think that that might be a little bit of uh, my 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 kind of personalizing of what I think when I watch a Blazers team that was obviously a great team but didn't quite get it done. Yeah, in the finals. The, yeah. I think there's something there's like an identity of Blazer fandom that is not getting over the hump. You know, it's like mm-hmm. teams that didn't make it. I think that it sort of plays into the identity. So I don't think people resent it as much as they just like accept it as fate. Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you. You mentioned the '04 Pistons team, and. This is, you know, this this era of Pistons, this was their third straight trip to the finals. Is this the best version of that early 90s, late 80s team? Do you think of this? Is is this third run the best version that they were? No, I think the second team yeah. that just swept the Lakers. And I know, you know, Magic goes down with an injury. Byron Scott goes down with an injury, too. So, you know, they're not a sweep of the Lakers good in, in 89. But the fact that they had Rick Mahorn and you just kind of sprinkle him on to an already good roster. Now, obviously, Rodman gets better in this season, and right. he's injured in this playoffs. He's not great in those finals, but during you know his defensive player of the year this year, so he 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 improves and kind of makes up for the the absence of Mahorn a little bit there. But yeah, I just think the '89 team was was the best group, uh, really. And but as far as eras, when you mentioned '04, uh, the Bad Boys, and I know that a lot of listeners are locked on Pistons don't you know they weren't alive for the Bad Boys. It's a lot of twenty somethings that are listening to the show. So you know, and, and to me, you know. I'm in college when the when the going to work team wins over the Lakers surprises everyone by the the, the five game sweep famously as it's referred to here <laughs> in Michigan. So uh, 
and, and obviously beating Kobe and Shaq is, is a whole other thing that you feel good about altogether. But I just think that the bad boys, I mean, you go to three straight finals, you win two titles as opposed to going to two straight finals and winning one title. It's There's a clear delineation. Isaiah is an all-time great in the NBA. Chauncey Billups and Ben Wallace are, are very good players. What, and, for whatever reason, no one from the 04 Pistons can get into the Hall of Fame. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like, it's like almost the collective uh, strength of the team kind of hurts these individual players and their perception. Now, you know, ho- the hope is that Ben Wallace gets in eventually. She'd, she'd get in. Yeah, yeah, she'd, yeah, like you said, uh, two, you know, distinct eras and, and carrying a Portland team and then being the last piece of a puzzle and obviously such a hugely important piece for the 2004 Pistons, too, um, and, and been a colorful character, too, which is a good thing for the yeah. game to have, and, and obviously maybe the temper should have been toned down a little bit during games, but yeah, I mean, I think that, but, it, you know, Factually, it's just clear that the bad boys were one step ahead of the going to work era in what they were able to accomplish. And plus, consider the fact that, yeah, you go to six straight Eastern Conference finals with the going to work era, but that's a worse Eastern Conference than this NBA of powerhouses in the late 80s, early 90s that the bad boys had. Yeah, that was a that was a rough time in the East. You know, there was two very, very good teams in that era and they kept beating the Pacers. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, and then the Pacers beat themselves in, yeah. in, in 04 and 05. Uh, exactly. Famously as well. Yeah, I, I think for the for the same question for the Blazers, like is this the best version of them? I think the 92 version is better. Uh, obviously you miss Drazen, but uh, you add Danny Ainge, who's just a dude who wins basketball games and did it for a long time everywhere he went. Um, huge addition off the bench. You get a better version of Cliff Robinson. Uh, obviously you're getting a little older. Everyone's a little older. This team's already fairly veteran. Uh, in in 1990, but and Buck Williams would be a 10 year vet by then. Um, but in Drexler's eight years in, he's a little deeper. This is probably his true athletic prime in 1990. Um, but I think the 92 team is a little bit better, um, just a little bit deeper, and and they were so shallow anyways that just adding a couple more competent players off the bench, Robert Pack and Danny Ainge, is, and and a much better version of Cliff Robinson. You were uh, that 92 team is way better. Yeah, and just a couple things before we sign off here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hit love, me with your love, notes. Love the rec specs from from Buck Williams. Yeah, Good Buck, stuff. Williams I a, actually... Buck Williams is a secret hunk. Secret yeah. hunk who wears the rec specs, okay? So if you're someone who has the ball and rec specs, don't let it slow you down because Buck Williams, secret hunk. I, I wore them for a couple years there you go. when I was a teenager, so I know it's all about couldn't touch my eyes to get the contacts in, so I had <laughs> to do that. And uh, we've talked you know, several times about Cliffy Robinson, uh, an important player for the Pistons later on in his career as well. Was a dude who played those- forever. Yeah, and and was a very good player for the Pistons too. We're doing the the most significant Pistons of all time, sixty four person bracket. Uh, Cliffy, Uncle Cliffy just missed. He didn't get on the sixty four, uh, but you could certainly make an argument that he belongs there. Uh, was part of that era that that kind of preceded the going to work era and brought the Pistons from a non playoff team to a, a second round type right. of team. And so uh, a, a lot of good feelings for Cliff Robinson here in Detroit as well. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about is, I don't know if you saw this on the YouTube video you watched, was that they did a whole uh, montage of how quickly Chuck Daly gets dressed before these games. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, that was a weird <laughs> one. I did see that. James Brown was was uh, was searching for stories as the sideline Seriously. reporter there. For I, sure. um, I'm trying to imagine the equivalent for like uh, for now. Like what coach would be, we would NBA players be, or NBA fans be most excited to see get dressed? Yeah, I guess before it would have been probably Rick Pitino back when he was coaching in the NBA. But yeah, I don't know who the uh, the standard of style is right now uh, throughout the league. 
Um, but yeah, yeah, Daddy Rich, obviously, Chuck Daly, Jack McCloskey, and Bill Davidson, the GM and the owner, um, respectively, after Chuck, obviously. Uh, we've lost those guys, uh, all passed away, but uh, remembered fondly in Pistons lore. And fortunately, um, you know, all the Pistons are, are still around. You know, there's still guys that come around and come to games. Mm-hmm. All the bad boys are still with us, and some of them doing radio color commentary and, and Isaiah and his business pursuits. So, uh, you know, that's a, a fortunate thing that thankfully uh, the the Pistons fandom kind of has uh you know those guys are still around in their late 50s early 60s as well. Yeah, I think one of the weird dark clouds hanging over this era is that Clyde Drexler does not associate with the organization. Um mm-hmm. he views himself as a rocket, which is cool. Um like yeah. he lives in Houston. He declined to come to 90s night when they they did like decades night this year during the season and he chose not to come. Um which is really something. Kevin Duckworth and and Jerome Kersey have passed away, and but Terry Porter, who's the coach at University of Portland, was there. Um, but no Drexler, and it's it's really weird because he's like, at, like I said, at worst he's the third best player in the history of the franchise, and he's probably the best right now. Um, but he doesn't associate with him, and I think that is a strange. I don't know what exactly the right word is, but it is is definitely makes this era a little bit more awkward. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the first basket of the game scored by Portland was Duckworth, and the second basket was Kersey. So yeah. those were the first thoughts that came to my mind when I was sat down to watch this game. But let, one question for you about the current Blazers: uh, We've talked about it. This is a, a team that went to the conference finals. This is a team that has, a, you know, having a, a disappointing season right now. But do you feel like, and, and maybe this is again my my rings or nothing viewpoint of sports, which is probably overblown and well, not I probably true, share but, that with you. So I'm, yeah, I'm the right audience for this. Yeah, I mean, are they like? Do you feel like that this is a team that needs to make one big trade, you know, and add a third piece, or is this like a, a preach the patience and see what Simons turns into and all that kind of stuff? Well, yeah, I'm I'm not a big believer in him turning into a superstar. Um, mm-hmm. I think he could end up being a really good basketball player, but I don't. I, to me. Damon Lillard is going to turn 30 this summer. Um, it's The time is now. So yeah. I, I, I don't think we'll look back, and if this team doesn't play in an NBA Finals, we'll say that you know they weren't good. They're going to end up having four or five 50-win seasons. Maybe not that many. They have three right now, two right now. So, yeah, they're going to end up with three or four 50-win seasons in Dame's tenure. They're going to have made the Western Conference Finals. A lot of their losses in the playoffs are against a Golden State Warriors team that we're going to look back as one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, so I think with, with time, with distance, we'll appreciate this era, but, um, I, I think there should be, if, if you're, if you fancy yourself a championship team, you gotta do it now. Yeah. And I gotta tell you not to blow smoke, but, uh, Dame Lillard, just, just fantastic. Love watching the guy play. Uh, I would, they're my Western conference team that I root for. And really, if I'm being honest, and Pistons included in this equation, Dame Lillard's probably my favorite player in the entire NBA right now, just because the Pistons are where they are, and there's not much to, to root for. Um, if Blake Griffin, you know, played like he did last season, he might rise up to that top of the list. But what a what a treat to watch Dame Lillard, especially what he did to Westbrook in the in the playoffs last year. Uh, what a great time and what a great kind of crescendo of the career so far. Lillard to have those moments like he did last year. Yeah, I can't wait to get back to watching real basketball again. I enjoyed, <laughs> I, I tell fun, you what, huh? I enjoyed watching the 90s finals, but I would love to watch sort of the 2020 playoffs if we ever that get there. That would be nice. That would yeah. be nice. Matt, uh, thank you so much for uh, for joining us. This was a lot of fun. We should, uh, I don't know if we'll uh, be able to find a crossover again soon, but if we can get a good one, we should do it. 
Absolutely. Uh, thanks for uh, for everyone to listening. Check me out on Twitter, Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore for that. And we got a Locked on Pistons Twitter account. Check that out, too. And thanks, Mike, for that. Really appreciate uh, uh, taking the time and, and enjoying this game and putting up with the fact that, obviously, it's it's a tough one. It's a loss for the Blazers. But uh, I think a, a collectively great series and a collectively great moment in time for the NBA history. Absolutely. And uh, all Lockdown Blazers listeners, you know where to find me. Do me a favor. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.